Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, we're back on Zoom here. It's the hybrid model. Some days we get to see each other, sometimes we don't. It's just the way it goes, isn't it? It is, but you know, we've been able to do some great things over Zoom. So, well, I don't know if the sound quality is nearly as good. The content is more dynamic, isn't it? I would agree. No, it is definitely. You know, I got to kick things off with a little baseball, but I'm going to deviate from the Astros. I'm going to focus on the Texas team for Little League World Series. I caught some of it yesterday. And then South Dakota beating California with a no hitter from I forget the kid's name, but what a cool. I watched like the last inning and I was pumped. Like, do you watch the Little League World Series? So I watched a little bit. I couldn't offer any like details or anything other than what I love is you see these kids and how talented they are, but you see these examples of like incredible talent. You see some great sportsmanship. Like I saw one the other day where like the pitcher, you know, one of the kids homered off of him. The pitcher like ran while he's going down the third baseline and gave him a high five as he was going home. Wow. Like just, huh. you know, we were like, okay, these are younger guys. There's a chance that they could play professional baseball. I bet, you know, like they probably are on that track or at least college. Yeah. But just where it's like, I don't know. You think about how competitive things are and, and you hope that they don't forget those things when they get, when they get older. It's super cool to see those kids. And of course, you know, as parents, as a father, it's like, Oh, you know, if my son was there, man, oh man, that'd be cool. But you know, who knows if that ever happens, but just to see the parents getting so pumped up and the kids too. And, and then too, I'm thinking, cause I mean, I played baseball growing up and I mean, we would maybe have a 15, 25 people in, you know, in the stands and it's mostly parents and friends. But like to get onto ESPN as I don't know how old these boys are, but I mean, they ought to be, this might be the most like impactful point of their whole lives or like the, the most memorable moments of their lives. Like it's not only they're like some random sports channel that no one watches like ESPN to be on ESPN at that age. Like I would have been just going nuts. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a great experience for them. I mean, it's, it's one of those, I think it's in a way it's relate. I don't know if relatable is the right word. Cause I was, I don't think anybody was ever thinking about putting me on TV at that age, <laughs> Likewise. Uh, but more so just, you, you just imagine you've been that age before you understand how exciting it would be. And so you can kind of be excited for them. Right. Yeah. That's really cool. No, it is. It's cool. So anyway, just wanted to throw that in there. I thought that was something worth mentioning. So go Texas. I think I forget who they play, but anyway, when the time this is done or when this releases the whole, the world series will be done and we'll see who takes it, but go Texas. Anyway. So Matt drilling fluids, let's see. You had a good one. Something that, you know, often happens and it's, it's not something that we, you know, hopefully we plan enough going into a well that it doesn't happen, but well-born stability, something that we've experienced. And so I, I think it, it makes sense to kind of go through it again, similar to the last episode where we talked about, you know, more from an operational perspective on what you do if say losses occur. And in this case, you start seeing well-born stability, people can panic, the well's unloading, who knows what's happening. There's could be a number of different things, but kind of going through the checklist and from a mud engineer standpoint, what we do, what, what we collect, you know, any mitigation stuff. And so I think it's a good topic to cover and we'll kick things off. Matt, let's say you're a mud engineer on the rig. 
you start experiencing hole instability and whether that's a coming man or, or you notice it at the shakers first and foremost kind of what's the first action step would we take i think especially if you're standing at the shakers and you see those cavings get a sample get a picture of it i think the thing with cavings is of course it's like anything every you know there's certain shapes that sort of tell you exactly what's going on and so just the you know the long splintery ones you're probably in an overpressured shale that's like the easiest one to diagnose and check. So if, if you can get a picture and show that it is or isn't that, then everybody can sort of get around that, you know, at the same time, because I'm always looking out for number one, I'm going to get a sample of the drilling fluid to prove that, you know, the mud is within spec or, you know, that the properties are as they should be. But it's also a curiosity, like, I mean, all of this sort of happens at once, but, you know, what were we doing? Even if it's just you're seeing, you know, something tight in the hole all of a sudden, were you drilling? Were you reaming? Were you circulating? Like, what was it when you started to notice something wasn't right? Because even that can tell you something where, you know, if you have a big ECD swing, it may be that you turn off the pumps and your ECD was actually holding the wellbore open. Right. And then you started to see some cavings and maybe you don't see a lot or it gradually starts to get worse, but let's make a note of that. Yep. No. And, and one thing too is, and I think this was something that you and the team put together for the rig rollout kits is, is sizing them up to give reference to how big this stuff is. And so if you have pictures of cuttings, putting it, I don't know if it's like engineering paper, but it's like the graphs or even be able to put it next to a pencil or a quarter, or whatever, the more pictures that could be saved and sent to sent to the office or, or just that you, you can have them for in case anyone asks is always good. It kind of gives a little bit of reference as to how big or small the cuttings are. Cause I can tell you a lot in the shape and the size and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's certainly important stuff. And like we've covered in many of the episodes is, I mean, there's never enough information that you can gather. And some of it may seem just, you know, not very relevant, but it could be the one piece of information that could sort of unlock and uncover sort of the root cause. So just, just really important to, to note on that. Matt, what else would we want to cover? What would we want to collect? So Confirming your mud properties, right? Go run a mud check really quick. Just see if something changed. So even the fluid loss, let's say, you know, you see some water in the filtrate or, you know, something that could have changed that may have resulted in a chemical interaction that you wouldn't normally see. The other thing I like to do is confirm my chlorides. I think if you've listened to our podcast long enough, you know that I believe water phase salinity is mostly an oil field boogeyman. And most of the time your well instability is a mud weight issue, at least in the you know, the areas we work. Mm-hmm. However, let's rule it out, right? Let's just make sure that there's, I mean, the reason that people want it to be salinity is that something that's easy to change, you know, mud weight, I risk losses, I risk other things, but let's make sure the mud weight was in spec and let's make sure the, you know, water phase salinity is what we expected it to be just to make sure that there's no reason to suspect that something changed there that could create some problems, you know? And then, even if you can secure some offset information and, you know, I would really hope that in the planning stage, we have already done that, but at the same time, it's like, okay, let's go back and look what were common mud weights in the area. And we've had customers where, you know, they've said, oh, we're going to drill out with a nine pound. And we've come back and pointed out that actually the lowest mud weight we've used in this area is 11 pounds. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you what would have happened if you would have tried to build angle through that. So I think those are all just good, solid fundamentals that, you know, we at least have, you know, we can gather what we know, we can rule out what, you know, what suspects could be there. And that, that sort of narrows things down. And I will add with the rollout kit, so you get a titration chart. 
if you flip your titration chart over, or if you want one, just let me know, AES people. Yeah. <laughs> but there is a grid on the bottom. So it's laminated and there's a grid on the bottom where you can put your cavings and you can uh, use right. a, a Sharpie and you can write the depth and you know some notes, take a picture of it. And then you can use your solvent and just wipe it clean and do that as many times as you need to. And immediately to the right of that, conveniently enough, is a set of instructions on how to ship samples to the lab. Because we will want those cavings and we will want a sample of your mud because we're going to try and back you up on mud properties. And with respect to the cavings, we can run X-ray diffraction, for example. Maybe we can correlate that to a formation depth. If we know we're drilling through something and you're on the rig, you can, you can find out what that is. But that's all more information than we had if you don't send any of that stuff in. So very helpful whether we're able to, you know, make some, you know, very firm decision or not. It's more information than we had before we started. Right. No, that's, that's a good point. And, and I think kind of just, again, going back to the information collecting and, you know, depth and, you know, anything that you can kind of correlate to there being any issues. Cause a lot of times too, it could be formational. I mean, you may go in with a might rate or whatever, but if you can correlate a depth with a transition zone or a fault, it just kind of helps kind of, you know, build the case as to what happened. Because at the end of the day, if you have instability, you know, obviously you're going to try and mitigate it and, and correct it. But if it becomes more problematic, then, you know, chances are you may be drilling in that same area. You need to, to kind of, you know, get the information and you can plan forward for the next one. The more information you have, then certainly is, is helpful for further planning. Matt, let's talk a little bit more specific about cuttings. Because I know, you know, there's a lot of charts and a lot of information. I was like, oh, if this looks like this, then it could be that. Or could you just give a brief overview again of like the different types of cuttings and, and what may be happening, which is not, you know, written in stone, but sort of some good rules of thumb. So, yeah, I mean, when you're looking at, when you're looking at different cavings, I think I mentioned, you know, the, the really long kind of splintery ones, that's an under pressured shale formation. That's just, you need mud weight. The problem is you get into like, I would just say that they all there is an argument to be made here that you can make a distinction. I haven't found anybody who can, but the kind of tabular blocky and even angular, the problem is an angular one might not actually be angular. It may have just been broken, broken off in a certain way, but those tend to be insufficient mud weight or dehydration. We've talked about water phase salinity with oil-based mud where you've dehydrated and embrittled the formation. And so, you know, but, but the other thing I would, I would draw your attention to in those sort of blocky, type of cavings is look at how sharp the edges are around them because they are big and they take a while to work their way up the hole. And so if they have rounded edges, it means they've been kind of worked over and it took them a while to get up the hole. Right. If they have sharper edges, that means they're pretty fresh. And that may mean that whatever shape they are is probably more reliable if you're trying to, you know, make a diagnosis. But you know, my whole thing is if we can, you know, capture that, maybe if we have a hygrometer on site, we can get the relative humidity, you know, once again, try to rule out salinity. It's probably a mud weight issue, but let's, you know, kind of navigate through that. And then, you know, no matter what, these are, these are bigger than cuttings, right? So there's risks of packing off, not only because you have something larger that you're trying to circulate out the hole, that's going to move more slowly, but keep in mind that it, besides that, you've got a larger annulus, right? I mean, this stuff fell in from a wellbore. And so the worst part of it is whatever you're trying to circulate out has a lower annular velocity. So yeah, the problem spot is the hardest spot to clean. And so I just think, you know, that requires a, a fair amount of just under patience, if you will, 
And I don't know, that all kind of circles back to, you're probably thinking about waiting up in the middle of all this. And assuming you do, it goes back to capturing that information because you may not, if you could have drilled into this possibly if you knew what to drill with, with a slightly higher mud weight. But now that you've seen cavings, you're going to need a higher mud weight than that. You know, once the problem starts, it's going to take a higher mud weight to counter the problem than it would have been if you had the right mud weight starting out. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I want to reiterate too the importance of being patient. And because like you said, depending on how much of that hole caves in on you, I mean, it's certainly not gauged. And so it may take, I mean, it's hard to say depending on the severity, but it could take two or three times more time to take days. I mean, Oh yeah, no, there, yeah. and you're, you're right. And so it's, it could range drastically, but when you start having things come in on you and then all of a sudden you want to wait up and go about your business. Yeah. Hole cleaning is challenging. And then on top of that, just making sure you've got a good system, you know, consistent mud weight all the way around, but really it's, it, again, you got to be patient. You got to pump on it. And then two, yeah, you're, even when you do get everything clean, you're still having a low annular velocity around that area that may have come in on you. So again, when you're tripping through there, be very careful because it's already, you know, if it's, if there's a spot there, that's unstable, you know, it could possibly happen again. If you're tripping and you, you yank through it and you swab some of it in, well, then you could risk, you know, packing off again. So, you know, making connections through that spot there, there's just certain things that we, you know, and again, as a mud engineer, you may or may not be making the decision, which you probably aren't on how fast you trip or, you know, drilling practices going through those zones, but just, just make sure, make note of the depth that way you can really watch. And then when you, if you go in and say you circulate a bottoms up around there, you know, really being, keeping a close eye on that area is, is always important. Yeah. I mean, agree, agree completely. It's, and I mean, to your point, Justin, it may not be your job, but certainly I think we all know, you know, the mud engineer's job, they're part of the team and, and very much like, we're out there to solve problems for our customers and we happen to be experts in mud, but if there's something we can bring to the table that doesn't have anything to do with us, but still helps, we should. So yeah, I mean, an extra set of eyes on anything is certainly a a huge help. And if you can get with a geologist, if you can look at the directional surveys, you know, are we in a build section? Is that where it's coming in on? Are we in a transition zone? Just the things that you want to know. And then you want to say, how repeatable is this? Because it may be a fight for us to get through this one, but if we're about to drill another well in the same pad or you know, something along those lines or another well nearby for that matter, maybe this information could save us a lot of time and money on the next one. Right. No, that's exactly. And Matt, I think you know, there's obviously other things that, that may play into this depending on the scenario, but generally speaking, it's, it's a pretty good approach in one that covers your, all your bases. Is there anything else that comes to mind or, or anything else you'd like to add before we let everyone get back to it? No, I don't think so. I mean, just do make sure you get some samples of those cavings and preserve them, get good pictures of them. Everything else from there, I think sort of comes together. But I always, as somebody who's trying to do support, I always want to see them. I always want samples I can put my hands on. And so I'd encourage everybody, make sure you get the representative material. Yeah. And one other thing too, I guess where, where I'm thinking, while I'm thinking of it too, is when, if you start seeing that get an idea of, of your mud weight potential on location, you know, say, cause if, if you're say at close to TD and you know, you may be trying to save on truck and you only have a few hundred sacks of barrier, well, all of a sudden this comes in, well, then you may have to wait up. So it's always a kind of good idea. All of a sudden, the, you know, if the company representative calls, Hey, you know, starting to see some instability, we want to wait up a couple pounds or a half a pound or whatever. 
you should have a pretty good idea of, of what your what your potential is on location. So again, just kind of being mindful of your inventory. And if you got to get on the phone, get with the warehouse and say, hey, we're having some issues. I need some barrier coming out here ASAP. That's always something that, that we always, all inventory management is extremely important. So be mindful of that as well. That's a great point. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, everyone appreciate all the support and the engagement we've had has been fantastic. If you could leave a review, that's very helpful. Hit us up on LinkedIn. If you want to add to, you know, if you have any comments on the topic or any stories, we'd love to hear from you. And with that said, everyone have a great day. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of the flow line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.